Amen. I'm so glad that you're with us today. What a great day to celebrate the goodness of God. Um, I'm glad everybody's joined us in Guthrie. Love you, all of you, live right now, and then also Freedom House. And then we've got Lexington and Mabel Bassett. Thank you for joining us each and every week. Uh, we love and pray for all of you. And Oklahoma City, good to see you today. Uh, I do want to just give a, just a stop, just a brief. I've got a friend of mine that's in the house today, and I uh, haven't been around him a lot over the last few years, but uh, we date back to the 90s. And we kind of grew up in the same part of the country. He's a few years older than me, and that is Gary and Wilma uh, Davidson. I'm so glad that you're here today. And he was missionary long-term in uh, Ireland for years. In the 1990s, I actually got to be there in 97 for a couple of weeks, and 98 for a couple of weeks. Took a team over there. Uh, I got to preach in the church where he pastored at the time, St. Mark's, which is a church built for like in the 1500s. It was really cool. You go down the bottom, there's like dead bones there. You know, like it's kind of creepy, but uh, it's pretty awesome too. Uh, you know, I really loved it. And so I appreciate his leadership. And now he provides leadership for about 500 churches uh, in the state of Oklahoma through the Assemblies of God. Thank you for what you do uh, in regards to missions. Love you very much. Uh, today, we have a very special guest with me. I'm thrilled about this. Last year at this time he was here, I invited him back to continue the conversation. Uh, his name is Blaine Bartell. Blaine Bartell formerly was uh, years ago, uh, 1980s and early 90s, was the uh, youth pastor at Church on the Move, grew a ministry up to over a thousand kids, students every single Wednesday night, having multiple experiences. And God did a great things, had a national television show uh, that was just doing amazing things. Planted a church in Frisco, Texas, but things began to spiral out of control because of a hidden addiction over the years. You can go check that out as we have posted the video that we did last year so that you can see on our Facebook page or also our website. Go check that out if you want to know more. But we're going to move on from there and talk about his resurrection today. But God is a God of restoration, but God is more a God of resurrection. He resurrects. Would you give it up right now to a friend of mine, Blaine Bartell, as he comes? Thank you, Bob. Good to see you. Well, you can um, be seated. So good to be back at North Church. Man, I love worship here. I, worship team, so good. Just uh, experience the presence of God every time I'm here and my son and I came up Thursday night, of course, and uh, he's here again, but we sent him to Guthrie uh, to be with the church there, but uh, he was commenting on the way home Thursday night. He said, Dad, I don't think I've ever been a part of a church that pays so much attention to detail from, you know, uh, the guest experience when, when you come in to the, the way that, uh, you know, you uh, produce the service, and uh, just, it's just is really amazing. So, my hat's off because you guys are sharing the gospel in such a powerful way in this city. And uh, we're, we're like brothers, right? We're right down the street, like Absolutely. 90 miles away, and we're here. So it's always good to be back. Good. Well, good to have you. Hey, just to bring everybody up to speed, um, Blaine, give us the Reader's Digest uh, of your story from pornography, addiction to craziness. Uh, just yeah. give us that quick version. Yeah, I'll give you the real quick version. Um, so, like you said, I, I, I grew up, uh, I got saved when I was 16, started to just feel this, uh, this call of the Lord in my life uh, to share the gospel, and especially with young people. And so, by the time I was 
26, uh, we had a national television uh, program that was on all the Christian networks going around the country. And, and because of that, I was asked to speak a lot of places. So I was going to a lot of festivals and conferences and churches. And uh, over the course of, I would say about three years, Rodney, uh, I really started to neglect my soul. So the way that looked is I just was taking every single invitation and uh, not really taking time to Sabbath, being away from home a lot, when I was home, shooting television. And, uh, and over time, that neglect just caused, I think, like, I think you mentioned the scripture either first or this service, uh, uh, kind of a lukewarmness in my passion for Jesus. And so in the middle of all that, I'm now 28 and I'm in a hotel room uh, somewhere on the East Coast, and I'm exhausted after a weekend. It's a late Sunday night. I'm flipping channels. News, sports, news, sports. I was, I was a news sports junkie, and, and uh, I remember just looking at the TV and seeing this white box, and, and I knew what the white box on the, on the TV was. It was an adult movie box. It was in every hotel room that I stayed at, and I'd never accessed it. Uh, I'd never had a problem with porn in my life. 28 years of age, never been an issue. And for whatever reason that night, it was almost like all my defenses had just been filleted. And I remember just stepping up from the bed, hitting the red button, on came these images, watched for probably 10 minutes or so, felt this incredible shame knew it was wrong, didn't even realize quite all the reasons why, but turned it off. And I, I, tell, uh, I tell people often that it was in that moment I made the worst decision of my life. And, and the worst decision wasn't hitting the red button because we, we all have red buttons, you know, and we all sin and come short of the glory of God. But I, I got up from the bed, got dressed, went down to the hotel desk, caught the attention of the clerk late at night, 11, 11.30 at night, paid for the movie. The reason I paid for the movie was because I didn't want my host, who was paying for the room, a church, to find out what I had watched. And so that was the beginning of a, a, of a cover-up, basically, uh, covering up a, a sin that I was ashamed of and, and believing that uh, I would never do it again. I mean, I prayed that night, I got up the next morning, read my Bible, fasted that week, recommitted my life, and I didn't do it again for six months. But then another six months goes by, fall again, shame again, cover it up again, but this time it's not six months, it's three months, then it's a month, and then it's a few weeks until finally, I, you know, over the course of many years, it became a, a stronghold in my life. Uh, I, I was captive to it. I could not get free from it. And I didn't have uh, the wherewithal, the courage to tell anybody. I just kept it like my secret struggle that one day somehow I was going to break through and be free from. But it lasted 23 years. And of course, lust never settles. You know, it, it never says, you know, I'm good right here. And so it just continued to escalate from pornography to chat lines to 
exploring the internet, looking for, you know, just all kinds of random internet encounters with real people, and it was an ugly, ugly, stealth, dangerous world uh, that eventually cost me everything. And 23 years later, by God's grace, uh, he exposed it all. Uh, literally within 48 hours, uh, I lost everything. And, uh, and I began to experience what the death of sin really felt like. Mm. I mean, I did, all those years I was experiencing sin. I mean, I was living in depression and living in shame. I remember looking in the mirror saying, I hate you, I hate you. I felt like a hypocrite. I, I, I felt like an awful person. I remember thinking about, you know, like running to South America and just escaping uh, suicide, k- killing myself. I mean, just so many different things. But, but then the actual consequences of sin hit me mm. in that exposure, and not just me, my family. And uh, it was an awful death. So in the book of Deuteronomy, we've been studying uh, through this book for the last few weeks. It says again and again, it talks about curses and blessing. Blessing is tied to obedience. Curses is tied to disobedience. So could you kind of talk to us about how um, the curses of disobedience played out in your life through this process? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we, we had a conversation about this about a month ago, and about, we were just talking through Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30. And uh, I'd read that many times, but it had been quite a while. And so went back and reread, you know, the, the blessings, which are many of obedience, right? And then I began to read carefully through what, what are described as the curses of disobedience. And Rodney, there was one that when I read it, I just stopped in my tracks. Mm. And I said, that right there fully describes the consequence of sin. Mm. And I wrote it down. It says that you will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Mm. And that's what sin does. You put, you know, all this effort into building a life, building a marriage, building a career, raising kids, and yet you hold on to this sin, and you hold on to this sin, and you keep it a secret, and you think, well, one day I'm going to beat it, and I'm, but you're not willing to really confess it and be truthful and honest about it. And what you don't realize is that all this building and all this work and all this effort that you're putting in, that it's all going to be lost. Mm. That sin literally in a moment can take everything from you. And, and it, was, it was awful. And, and what I didn't realize, Rodney, was, now I remember thinking about the consequences of my sin one day. I, I remember living with it and thinking, you know, one day this is going to destroy me. I hate it, but I know it's going to destroy me. What I didn't realize was the ripple effect of our sin in that we never sin unto ourselves. So true. That in the process of the consequence of our sin, uh, it can destroy our wife, our spouse, our children, friends, people that lose faith in, in Christ because, well, why did this happen? Uh, I, I had no idea that ripple effect. And 
And so today, when I, when I read through the consequences of sin in Deuteronomy and other parts of Scripture, there's a, uh, there's a holiness that comes over me. There's a, uh, a sacredness of, wow, we can't mess with this stuff. And there's a reason why Jesus gave his life. Yes. There's a reason why he shed his blood and yes. his body was broken. Because sin is an awful awful destroyer in our life. But thank God that the gospel came so that we could be forgiven, but not just for, forgiven, but raised from the death of sin. So good, so good. So throughout the Bible, Genesis all the way to Revelation, it, it appears to be that, that um, well, it, it does, that sexual sin has substantial consequences to it. Why do you think that is? You know, I... I really, uh, was one of my biggest questions is why are the consequences of sexual sin so great? And, uh, I've read this one passage. I'll read it again this morning, but, uh, in Paul writes to the Corinthians and the, the Corinthian church was a, uh, a church that really struggled with sexual sin, maybe more than any other of the churches, uh, listed in the, the epistles. But he said in verse 18 of first Corinthians six, flee sexual immorality. So it's interesting, it is, as far as I know, the, the only sin that uh, Paul says run. Like just get out of Dodge, do not pass go, do not collect $200, like flee this. Yes. And then he goes on and he describes, he says why. He said every other sin a person commits is outside the body or it doesn't affect the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his or her own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you're bought with a price. And I think it goes back to this idea of uh, Imago Dei, which is image bearer, yeah. uh, bearing the image of Christ. So when we are created in Genesis, it says that we are created in God's image and after his likeness, yeah. that we all see a little bit of God in each other. Uh, the beauty of God is found in each of us. That, that, that no matter how awful a person somebody may be, there's, there, there's, there's a little bit of God's dignity and a little bit of God's goodness and a little bit of God's beauty in every person. And when we sin sexually, we are literally, uh, we're, we're sinning against God's crowning creation. Mm. That the, the, the very person that is meant to display the, the likeness of God and the goodness of God, that we're sinning against that. And, and when I sin uh, sexually uh, it, with lust, basically what lust is doing is lust is demeaning a, the object of my lust. Mm. So if I'm looking at a woman lustfully, as Jesus said, and that's why he went straight to the heart in Matthew 5. He said, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say, don't even look at a woman with lustful intent. And the reason he says that is because he said, I, I don't want you to treat a woman or another human being who is made in my image as a commodity, as so someone that is useful, so good. as somebody that is a target uh, for your lust. They are dignified and they are worthy because I created them. And so I think it goes back to the fact that everyone in this room and everybody that is 
joining us online is made in God's beauty, is made in God's image. And one of the things that I practice today, when I see a woman, uh, my immediately go-to in my heart, in my mind is this image bearer of God created with dignity and honor who has a spark of the divine and I will treat with dignity. It's good. I will not sexualize her. I will look her in the eye and treat her like the woman and the daughter of the father that she is. So good. So let's talk about um, the blessings of God in returning to God. Mm. So in Deuteronomy, it talks about, I'll bless you if you obey, but then it says the curses will come with you if you disobey. But then there's the returning. Chapter 30 really yeah. deals with that, impacts it. Uh, how has this worked out in your life? And is it really possible that we can experience a new life or a perfection again in Christ? Can we do that? Yeah, interesting. You know, when you look in the, the Old Testament, the word that's used often is the word restoration, right? But the lexicon changes in the New Testament. We don't see that word restoration as much as we see resurrection. Yes. And there's a difference. Restoration is, you know, you're, you're finding something from the past and you're making it good again. Resurrection says there's something brand new that you've never experienced, that you're literally reimagining life, that Jesus didn't come to make good people uh, or to make bad people good, that he actually came to make dead people alive, that this is the gospel, that, so that you know, as we celebrate baptism this weekend here, uh, that we're not... We're not, going down, uh, uh, we're not going down bad people and coming up a little bit better. Nope. <laughs> we're going down dead people and coming up fully alive yeah. in Jesus, right? So, so baptism isn't turning it over a new leaf. The, the gospel says that all things can become new. Now, do I still have a past? Yes. Are, are there people from time to time that might remind me of my past? Yes. Hmm. Am I a prisoner of it? No. no. Does it define me anymore? No. no. What defines me? Not blame Bartell, not how much he tried to overcome this, but it is the gospel of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ, who has made me new, has forgiven me, who has given me new life, who has freed me from the fear of sin and the brokenness of sin. And so everything beyond that is just a side blessing. That's good. Being forgiven, being loved by the Father, having a relationship good. with brothers and sisters in Christ and knowing that God still has a calling, a calling that is without repentance for every single one of us, that's the gospel and that's the beauty of Jesus. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, we're kind of diving into that, that chapter. Verse 11 says it this way. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And for the first generation of children of Israel, at this time, they've been 40 years wandering in the desert. That first generation thought it was beyond our reach because they tried to do it themselves, not realizing that God had already given them the promised land. So, but with that verse there and thinking about today's society, how highly sexualized everything is, it seems almost like impossible to live a holy life in a life that's sexually pure. Tell us about is it attainable today? You know, it's interesting when you read that passage, uh, it says it's not too difficult 
it's not beyond your reach. Didn't say it's not difficult at all. It just says it's not too difficult. That's right. Didn't say that it won't be a reach. It's just not beyond your reach. It's good. So, yeah, let's be, let's be honest about the culture. It is an ugly culture. It is very sexualized. I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, cell phones. I grew up in a, in a day where the only way you could f access pornography in, in, in my day growing up was, you know, it was behind a, you know, b behind a stand somewhere in a convenience store that wasn't accessible unless you were 21. And today it's, it's you know, if you have the internet, it's there and it's free. So I remember going through uh, 30 days of rehab in Phoenix. Mm. Uh, $30,000, by the way, to go through 30 days of rehab. I, I had the equivalent in 30 days, they said, of three years of counseling. Uh, all this work, six days a week. I remember getting out of rehab, Rodney, getting on an airplane to go back to Dallas and seeing a flight attendant and feeling the same lust that I felt before I showed up. And I thought, I'm never going to get free of this. This is a pipe dream. And then I get back to Dallas and I start going to a counselor they recommended every week. I went to four men's groups a week, 12-step groups, small groups. And, 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 and I remember about six months in, I'm in, in a 12-step group, and there's a couple guys that have been in this group for three years. And we'd go around at the beginning of every 12-step group and we would check in, like, did we stumble this week? Did we have a fall, a relapse? And I remember seeing some of these guys that had been in this group for three years, like every second or third week, confessing to another relapse. Mm. And I, I, I began to think, no one's ever going to get free of this. Mm. Is, it, is it even possible? I'm, I'm, you know, am I just going to kind of manage this and just kind of continue to waffle back and forth in it? I, and, I, and I just believed somehow that, that Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and that resurrection could actually free me from pornography for good, for good. I, I, I didn't know how, I didn't even know the way there, but I just, and I remember praying, God, take this from me, please. Show me how to live in freedom. And in the next, I would say 12 to 16 months, God took me on a journey of freedom. And today we've put it into our Catharos course, yeah. which I know you guys have shared with the men of this church. You've personally taken uh, uh, young guys uh, through it. But, but I began to discover that there is a way of freedom. And it begins with, you know, what Jesus said in treasuring. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we completely reverse it in, in the world today. We have the idea that where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. We just got to put our heart into it. No. Jesus said you put your treasure in and your heart will follow. So what is treasure? Time, energy, resources. And I began to put time, energy, resources into learning how to live free, into learning how to really access this resurrection power. And so for me, that meant uh, treasuring my church, treasuring brotherhood, treasuring uh, reading and study, treasuring the gospel, uh, just, you know, treasuring my Friday nights uh, at Celebrate Recovery. I mean, just completely immersing myself in the treasure of Christ in my life. 
And it got to a place, Rodney, where I didn't even know the culture existed. You know, when you talk about a sexualized culture, it wasn't in my world anymore. I was living in a different world. That's good. That's, that's so good. Blaine mentioned his sexual uh, purity class and that he, the workbook and the video series that he has produced. I'd encourage all the men uh, to do that. And a number of men in North Church have already been through uh, this, but I would highly encourage it. It is, it is the best that I've seen. I appreciate the effort and what you have given to that. Now let's look at on in verse number uh, 19 and 20 in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says it this way, this day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live Hmm. and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Hmm. So I'm sure there's a number of people that are listening right now that are saying, how do I break out of pornography? Could you, could you give me some practices? Could you give me some tips? Could you be something? And it's not just pornography. There's a lot of other vices and addictive behaviors and struggles that every one of us can be drawn into that people maybe are looking for freedom from. What are some practices that you say helped for you to choose life and obedience and the freedom and resurrection that Christ gives? Wow, great question. Yeah, remember that passage. I think it's in Romans. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've spent the last 12 years studying what I would just call the art of transformation. What does transformation actually look like? Is it actually possible to, for somebody to change? Uh, I've read books, secular books, Christian books, obviously dive deep into scripture. And, and, and here's what I found out. Uh, in fact, this is in Gatheros. Uh, the gap between inspiration and transformation is routine, or we could call it ritual, all right? So we get inspired to change, we've all been there, and we see what transformation can look like. Maybe we've seen it in somebody else, but there's this gap. And the gap that gets us from being inspired to actually having the effects and change is ritual or routine. So what, what God began to do in my life is, is he said, Blaine, I want you to create daily, weekly, and annual routine and ritual that will eventually transform the way you think, the way you live, the way you interact, the way you love, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your children. And so a couple, uh, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day, some, usually three times a day. Now, I do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, the early church prayed the prayer three times a day. If you read the Didache, which is an early church history book. Uh, but for me, it's more, I want it to shape me and form me. Yes. I want when I pray that prayer, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. I want that to take full effect in my life. I don't want it to be Blaine's kingdom. I want it to be Jesus's kingdom in my life. So I don't want to be king. He deserves to be king. How many know Jesus is king? Yes. You know, uh, Rome, Rome thought he wasn't. Rome mocked him when they hung him on a cross and they made fun of him by saying, king of the Jews. But, but a couple thousand years later, Jesus is king and Caesar is, is a $5 pizza. So let's just be real. Um, so, so I want kingship uh, in, in, in my life. And so that, that prayer has 
over, over the course of nine years now, formed me, shaped me, it's changed me. Uh, I, I have another uh, routine. Every two weeks, I meet with three brothers. They're pastors in my city. Yes. We sit around a table like this, we have lunch, we order our meal, and then we go around the table and we get honest. And there's nothing that we hold back. Whatever we're struggling with, whatever our shame is, whatever our sin is that we're fighting, whatever our fear is, whatever our struggle is, it's on the table. It's good. And there's no judgment. It's good. There's no shaming. There is only encouragement. We pay for counseling if necessary. We do whatever it takes to help you. And, and there's been a lot of stuff on the table because we're human beings and we're men. And, and so this idea of transparency and confession, I mean, that's what held me in bondage for 23 years is I didn't confess. Mm-hmm. At any moment, if I would have just mm-hmm. had the courage to say, hey, for better or worse, this is me and I need help, mm-hmm. help could have come. But I tried to win the battle alone. And then I've, I've got uh, weekly routines. I mean, I wouldn't be here without the church. I wouldn't be here without this. Mm. This is a part of my routine. I'm either in my home church or I'm in somebody's church every Sunday or Saturday night. I've got to have this. Not just I need the message or I want the word. I I, I need people in my life. I need brothers and sisters. I need to hug somebody's neck. I need to be able to come forward at the end of a service and be prayed for like anybody else. We need each other. And then I've got annual routines, Sabbath routines. Lori and I just spent... 10 days away, refreshing, you know, you know, just retreating, you know, gathering our, our senses again and gathering our, our, our hearts and our souls again and preparing for, you know, the next uh, six months. I, I go to a monastery once a year and I just retreat in silence and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me and recalibrate. And so I, I think, what are the routines and rhythms that we can move into our life on a committed basis that will change us over time. So good, so good. So Blaine, just, there's individuals right now that may be struggling. Um, They need to experience that resurrecting power that Christ offers today. Uh, It's not far from them. It's near right now. All they have to do is call upon Christ. And so I I want you to, lead us in a prayer and maybe any final thoughts that you may have for individuals that um, they keep falling back, they keep, maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's whatever, uh, and that how that resurrection power, and just pray a prayer of resurrection. And I pray that individuals right now, you receive this, that by faith, you're just like, God, I am determined. A righteous man falls seven times, but he keeps getting up. Yes. You don't give in. You don't give up. You don't throw in the towel. You keep fighting the good fight of faith and going to cross the resurrection. Mm. So, Blaine, take us there. Yeah. You know, I, I think, beloved, one of the greatest casualties of sin is this idea of shame. This, this shame that just drives us back into deeper sin because we feel like we're so lost, we're so unforgivable, we're just going to repeat. It's going to happen again. And shame just holds us back. And if there's a word from the Lord for you this morning, it's that you are loved. Yes. The Father absolutely loves you. 
that there's nothing you could do this morning that would make him love you anymore. And there's no sin you could commit that would make him love you any less. That you are loved. In fact, Isaiah 61 says that for your shame, God will give you double honor. So good. That the honor of God, that the love of God is here to lift you up and to resurrect you into new life this morning. And so, Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, whether they're in this room, in Guthrie, Freedom House, joining us online. Pray that, Jesus, you would access the inner reaches of our soul right now, of our own shame and sinfulness. We, we know, we don't have to be told that we're lost and undone, that we failed. We know that. But we do need to hear that you can forgive, that you can bring new life, that Jesus, you can resurrect us out of that death and that destruction and that shame and that hopelessness, that depression. So Lord, right now, reach into the heart and soul of every person within the sound of my voice. And Jesus, make yourself present and real in this very moment. Thank you for loving them. May they feel Lord, the arms of the Father wrapped around them like the prodigal son and saying, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Welcome back into Father's house. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. And you are resurrected. We pray this all in that name that is above every name, the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, would you show your appreciation for Blaine Bartelvin? Thank you, Blaine. Stand to your feet, would you? Stand to your feet. We're having some microphone issues, but we'll get Amen. Wow, what a powerful word. Blaine mentioned baptism. We're having baptisms this weekend. If you want to be baptized, we're ready for you. What does that mean? Um, baptism is the first act of discipleship and obedience to a life surrendered to the call of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you say, you have not been baptized, it's been years. Well, you didn't do the first thing that was, you were, you were instructed. Jesus' example, and that's water baptism. We say, well, I'm, I'm a good person. No, 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 you do what he says. We're followers of Jesus, not followers of what we want, okay? And if you just get saved today, well, do, I got, do I gotta go through a course? Do I go through long? No, 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 no. No, the biblical example is you are saved, you're baptized. You're saved, you're baptized. And we're ready for you today. You say, well, I didn't come ready. Well, we've got the shorts, we've got the t-shirt, we've got the towels, we've got everything else that you possibly need. Somebody will meet you out at the connections area and walk you through that. And then we will document it all for your family and friends so that you can put out there and other people can see and celebrate with you. See, baptism is a public display of a private work inside of you. It is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation. And at North Church, oftentimes, I might not take the approach of just leading somebody through a sinner's prayer. I, I do that. But a lot of times, I just get up and say, you want to follow Christ? Confess your sins. That begins with a conviction. You have to be convicted in your heart. And then when you feel that conviction, then you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and you shall be saved. 
And then the next thing you do is baptism, water baptism. So we're ready for you today. We're ready. Amen. I want also our prayer team to come and make themselves available. All locations, prayer team, come. Don't sit in your seat. Come up for prayer. You need healing in your body? Come up for prayer. You need deliverance? Come up in prayer. You're struggling with something? You're dealing with depression? You're struggling with some dark issues of the soul? Come and receive prayer. Maybe it's for somebody else. I think oftentimes we don't take advantage of standing in the gap for somebody else. Some of you need to not sit there. You need to come and find a place. There's prayer team all around the building. Come and stand in the gap for somebody else who is in need of the power of Jesus Christ. We believe in the power of prayer. Father God, we thank you. May your Holy Spirit descend right now among us. Convict, encourage, change, touch, restore lives, resurrect people by the power and the name of Jesus. We believe it is so. We believe in your word. We believe in your promises. And now, God, we come and receive prayer together, confessing our sins, believing with other believers in the power of resurrection of Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.